Hello, friends. Thank you so much for joining me. I am Rick Thomas, and you're listening to Your Daily Drive. Thank you for listening for uh, listening to this podcast. As you know, the Your Daily Drive podcast are written out for you, and so if you want to read them, you can go to our website, rickthomas.net, and you can read the podcast. Today's podcast is titled Helpful Tips on how to make decisions, big and small. I've written several articles on decision-making, and I wanted to add one more to the list because it's such an important subject. Every day, you have to make many decisions. Some of your decisions are big and other ones are small. I'm not even sure how many you make. It would be interesting that if you could calculate how many you make from the time that you wake up in the morning, that's probably our first decision, right? When the alarm goes off, it's like, do I really want to do this? Do I want to get up? But throughout our day, we're making decisions. Some of them are life-changing events, while others aren't as consequential. But having a good grasp on biblical decision-making is vital. And so what I want to do in this podcast is I want to give you a brief case study about a young couple. They are engaged. They're thinking about getting married. Obviously, that's one of the bigger decisions that you'll ever make in your life. And so I want to share that case study with you, and then I want to give you a few practical guidelines that will serve you in all of the decisions that you have to make. And so I trust that this will be helpful. There are a lot of articles that are embedded here. And part of the reason that I want to do this is because we have a lot of folks that come to us. This is a historical thing. I mean, people for years, they come to us and many times they are they're living in regret because of decisions that they have made. Obviously, we interact with those who are wanting to make decisions, but most of the time in counseling, it is people that are looking back on their lives and, and they're wondering about things that they have done. Parenting, for example, is like that, as a parent will struggle as their kids are teenagers or beyond and their children aren't living for the Lord and they begin to go into this doubt as they go and reflect mode, thinking about some of the decisions and choices that they have made with their lives. But decisions, big and small, is important, and it's important for you to have a good handle on it. And so I would encourage you to read this article. Again, the podcast and the article are titled the same way, Helpful Tips on How to Make Decisions Big and Small. One of the most popular articles on our website is embedded here. It's called How to Make a Decision About Anything. And I think if you take some of these articles, you collect them together and spend a good season reading them, uh, it will serve you well. What you want, what I hope that you will walk away with is that you do have a good practical handle on how to make decisions. And as always, if you want to talk about this podcast, well, here's a decision that you can make. You have to decide. You can come to our website, get your username and password. That's free. And then you just ask your question on our website. That's free as well. And then we'll be glad to interact with you. So go ahead and make that decision. Decide. I'm going to ask a question about decision making, and we would love to walk with you as we can through whatever your question may be. Helpful tips on how to make decisions big and small. Biff and Mabel are in love. This is the case study. It's fictional. They have been talking about getting married for a while.
They love God and have been pure in their relationship. They want to honor their parents as well. Biff and Mabel met in college, but they have waited until both have secured good jobs and paid off most of their college debt. They have known each other for five years and have dated for the past 18 months. They come to you for counsel. While they are confident that they will marry and both sets of parents are okay with the idea, they want your thoughts about a potential engagement and future union. I said this is a fictional case study. As you're listening to this, you're thinking what some of you could be thinking, what world do they live in? They, they, they love God. They've been pure in their relationship. They want to honor their parents. They have waited to secure good jobs. They've paid off most of their college debt. They've known each other for five years and dated for the past 18 months. On top of that, they come to you and they ask you, about your thoughts on their potential engagement and future union. I think it would be safe to say that this is an outlier uh, couple. Uh, This is is an anomaly. This is not how it normally goes, unfortunately. But this is a great way for it to go. For those of you who are dating and and you want to know what the correct steps are, what some of the better steps are, well, I've just listed a few of them for you, and you can read it in this short pericope. But they come to you, and you you have a list of questions that you want to ask them But there is one question that is more critical than all the rest. You have a pile of questions on the table, but there is one has a flag on it, and it is at the very top. And this is the first question that you ask Biff and Mabel. With that in mind, here's my question for you. What is the question that is at the the top of the pile? that you want to ask them? And why is this question more important than the others? Give scriptural support for your question. Now, this case study will explore your understanding of decision-making while giving you a few practical guidelines when making decisions, whether, whether big or small. Now, I've given you a short case study here. It's only three paragraphs. And it would be fantastic for some of you to take this article and use it in a Sunday school class or some type of of class at your local church. In fact, one of our mastermind students, Cece, is taking our case studies. There's 48 case studies on our website. They're free. You can get them, download them, print them off. But she is going to start teaching a Sunday school class using the case studies as the material. This would be a fantastic idea for the practicalization of the gospel in people's lives. And you could do that here with this case study embedded in this article. You're welcome to do that. And so the question that I ask you, and this is the question that you would ask your Sunday school class, what is the question at the top of the pile? What is the most important thing that you want to ask them, even though you have a list of questions for them? What is the number one question? The most critical question you want to ask Biff and Mabel is, quote, are you in faith to get married? That is the most important question that you will ever ask when it comes to biblical decision-making. Perhaps you could state it another way. 
For example, do you have a word from the Lord that you are supposed to marry this person? You could also query them by asking it this way. Do you believe this is God's will for your life? All three of my questions are the same. The first one is, are you in faith to get married? The second one is, do you have a word from the Lord that you're supposed to marry this person? The third one is, do you believe this is God's will for your life? I ask the same question three different ways. And they cause you to explore whether or not you are walking in faith as you embark on whatever it is that you hope to do. In this case study, uh, what Bill and Mabel are asking you about a potential engagement and future wedding. Are you in faith to do that, Bill and Mabel? Now, it doesn't matter exactly how you ask the in faith question as long as you do ask it and you explain why you're asking the question. When it comes to biblical decision-making, there is not a more important question that you can ask. Now, let me give you a caveat here. Some of you have already intuited this. This young couple, they pretty much, well, here, here's what happens. It'll hardly matter It'll hardly ma- it will hardly matter to Biff and Mabel. In nearly all cases where folks are in love, that's the key phrase here, it doesn't matter what you say to them because they already know it's God's will and they are on the right path. They will answer your question. If you ask them, are you in faith to get married? 99% of the people will ask uh, answer the question in the affirmative. Most young couples are so enamored with one another that any objectivity is out the window. Now, with that said, that's my caveat. And when you're talking to couples about getting married, many times if you're at that stage in the conversation, then it really is irrelevant in a way for what you say to them because they're going to push play. They're going to get married regardless. But you do want to have this conversation. It would be best if you had the conversation with them about the faith factor, because what you know is that there will come a day when they will wonder why they married each other. And that's one of the reasons you want to have this conversation anyway, even though they're going to push play and they're going to do what they believe they should do anyway, even though they haven't really processed it. And because they have other reasons as to why they are wanting to get married, primarily they're in love. And usually that is the the, the card that they drop on the table as to why they are getting married. And that's not the number one reason. The number one reason, again, has to be the faith factor. They believe that God wants them to marry each other. Now, you know that. And again, you know there's coming a future day in their lives when they'll look at each other, or maybe they'll be looking at someone else and be wondering why they married each other. When Paul talked about making decisions, he connected whatever you decide to you being in faith. That's his language, not mine. That's why I'm using the language, because it's Paul's. His language was strong and it was clear. He said that if you did not make your decisions from faith, you would be sinning. It's Romans 14, 23. Two sentences, really short verse. He says, but whoever has doubts, that's meaning they're 
they're not in faith. Whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats. If you doubt and you move forward to eat, you're condemning yourself because the eating is not from faith. Here's the second sentence. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. A modern paraphrase of Paul's verse is, quote, when in doubt, don't. That's a way of saying what Paul said. Paul says that it is a sin to proceed into any situation if you cannot move forward knowing you are doing the right thing. Biff and Mabel must be trusting God as it pertains to their future potential marriage. They must believe that marriage is God's will for them. They must be in faith. In what I just shared with you, I use several synonyms for this idea of in faith. Perhaps you heard them. I said that they must move forward knowing. That is a synonym for faith, knowing that they're doing the right thing. I said Bill and Mabel must be trusting God. That is another synonym for faith. And then I said they must believe that marriage is God's will for them. The word believe is also a synonym for decision-making in or being in faith when you are making decisions. Now, I want to share with you some typical questions around this idea of biblical decision-making, and then I will answer those questions, and then I want to appeal to you. If you really want to dig deeper into this idea, then I want you to read the articles that are embedded in this article that I'm sharing with you, and I have a lot of them here. There are more than a dozen articles that are embedded in this one, and so if you want to spend some time, some serious time, delving in uh, to this idea of making biblical decisions, it would be good for you to read these articles and to pray through them and to talk about them with someone else who is competent and can give you insight and clarity and come alongside you to help you to settle this idea into your soul. But here, here are four typical questions that people ask around the idea of decision-making. Number one, why do you say this is the most critical question? Now, I think I've already made a case for that, why I say that the in-faith question is the most critical one, and this entire podcast will help support that. And then also, again, you can go to some of the articles that are embedded here, and that will help to answer that question of why this is the most critical one. The second question, does this mean I can't doubt at all? That's a big one. Are you talking about perfect faith before I can make a decision? You must have a good answer for that one. Number number three, what if I married a person, but now I realize I was not in faith when we married, and now our marriage stinks? What am I to do now? Now, this is the person that's looking back on the decision that they made, and they're thinking they made the wrong decision, and they want to know if, basically if they could change their mind, or should they, and how do they respond to that? I will answer that in just a moment as well. And then finally, another typical question that people will ask around decision-making, how can I know God? will. Can you give me details on how to make decisions in faith? 
All right, let me address some of these questions. And, and the way that I want to do it is I'm going to give you a few practical guidelines that will help answer the questions. Plus, I'll give you some more information, too, because I really want to fill this out for you uh, so that you have a good grip on d biblical decision making. First thing that I would say to you is that there are no perfect decisions, not in a fallen world, not among fallen people. You see, some people can be so measured and so calculating, and they can be so fearful that they cannot decide until all fear, all doubt, all worry is gone. Good luck with that. It just won't happen in all of your decisions. And so if you are that measured, calculating, fearful person, well, you got some things to work on. Sometimes these people are self-righteous. And what I mean by that is they want to look good in front of others. Failure is not an option. And so they want to come across. This is what I mean by self-righteous. And I know that when I say that, that these people are, are self-righteous, it, it can come across harsh or like, seriously? But yeah, what's going on here is that they want to look good in front of others. Failure is not an option, meaning they, they want their reputation to be elevated for other people to see. They, they don't want imperfection or failure to be seen. That is a self-righteous attitude. And so rather than pushing forward, they make excuses and wait because they're measured, calculating, and fearful. Caution is wise, but paralysis is not. And so you need to come to terms with this idea that there are no perfect decisions. There aren't any where you'll be 100% sure without any reservations that you've done the right thing. Faith does not work that way. Think about it this way. If you had all the answers before you move forward, you would not be operating in faith, but you would be moving forward because of the known outcome. Your faith would not be in God, but your faith would be in the already understood, perceived results of how it's going to end. That's not faith in God. It's faith in a known outcome. And so you have to, come, you have to become comfortable with this idea of no perfect decisions. Now then on the other end of the spectrum is impulsiveness. This is the other side of paralysis. It's the self-sufficient person who devalues community and the other means of grace that God has given to help guide him. Other people should influence the decisions that matter, but this person is just impulsive. He doesn't wait. He doesn't, he doesn't have his decisions weighed in a context of community, for example. The humble person always carries about a sense of, of self-suspicion. But rather than that awareness leading to paralysis, it motivates them to borrow brains. They want to gain the perspective of others so they can do proper due diligence. The gospel-centered person has nothing to fear, nothing to hide, nothing to protect. He is humble, open to correction, and willing to seek the wisdom of other like-minded individuals. I'm giving you a few practical guidelines. The first one is there are no perfect decisions. The second one is impulsiveness. The third one is asking true friends. I inserted the word true here. There may be a temptation to ask only those who agree with you or those who do not have the grace to disagree with you. A true friend will tell you what you might not want to hear. 
Proverbs 27, 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. That is an excellent verse to practicalize when it comes to making decisions. You want to have it weighed, your decision weighed, with a true friend. Don't surround yourself with yes people. What good is that? Living in an echo chamber with folks who are not willing to disagree with you, that's not how you want to sharpen your iron. As the proverb said in 27:17, and so point number three, as far as practical guidelines are concerned, you want to ask true friends. And then number four, being offended is not a good thing. It is a definite sign of Christian maturity to receive correction with grace. And so if you're not living in the echo chamber and you're living among true friends who, who will say it to you in love, but they will give you their perspective and it's not controlled by, by them being afraid of you, well, it is a sign of Christian maturity to receive correction with grace. Too often, The focus is on how the correction came rather than the truth that the person shared. Perhaps they were 90% wrong in their delivery and 10% correct with the truth that they were sharing with you. For the need to make the right decision, the most vital thing is to hear the truth proclaimed, even if it's only 10%. And perhaps later you could talk about their poor delivery of the truth. It's easy to focus so much on the desire to be right that we miss God's corrective care through imperfect people who bring their perspectives imperfectly. Thus, guard against being offended while opening yourself up to another perspective. So number one, there's no perfect decisions. Number two, impulsiveness. You don't want to be that. Number three, you want to ask true friends... Number four, guard against being offended. Number five, telling someone what you're going to do but not asking. Let me explain. Let me, let me say it this way. There have been a few times in my life where someone has come to me and they've told me what they had planned to do. Then they ask me what I thought about what they had already decided Well, if you've already made the decision and then you want my perspective on the decision, that's a little bit backwards. I mean, if you want my perspective. Let me give you a few scenarios of how that has played out in my life. Hey, Rick, we just put our house on the market. We're moving to Vermont. What do you think? Here's another one. I just gave my boss a two-week notice. Do you think that was a good idea? You see how, do you hear how backward that is? Perhaps if you're you're going to do something so significant like quit your job and my opinion matters to you, then it would be better to ask my opinion before you give your boss a two-week notice. Again, if my opinion matters to you, it would be better to ask my opinion about moving to Vermont before you put your house up on the market. Why ask at this point? Here's a third one. Yesterday, I borrowed a thousand bucks for our family vacation. Do you think that is wise? A fourth one is when I pastored, uh, sometimes there would be a church member that would come and say, hey, uh, we're going to another church. What do you think? They've already made the decision. Well, again, if you're really interested in what I have to think, you should ask before, uh, because that in itself could be life-changing Don't do this to your friends, because you'll put them in in an awkward position most of the time, particularly if I don't know the individual who's doing this. If I don't know them well, I won't even tell them what I think. 
they have already decided what they are going to do, and my perspective won't make any difference anyway. They are telling me what they have done rather than asking me what I think about what they would like to do. And so in many cases, I'll just say, be warmed and filled, some version of that. Well, praise God, I'll pray for you. Thank you for letting me know something along their, their lines, those lines, because what they're doing is they're telling me what they're going to do, but they're not asking. That is a poor way to make decisions. And then one of the things that's important when you're making decisions, I say it this way, that you want to always remember the V, you, you want to remember the letter V. And so visually, think about a letter V. It's big at the top and it's narrow at the bottom. And I use this, ish, uh, this illustration to make this point. The V is narrow at the bottom, broad at the top. This is what it means. You have a, devi- you have a defined starting point. At the bottom of the V is a, is a definite defined starting point, but at the top of the V, it broadens out, and there are many possible ending points. Now, if you take the letter V and you flip it over to where it's now upside down, then what you have when you're looking at the top of the upside-down V, you have a predetermined point at the top where you're going to go, and there are no other options. I've seen many people flip the letter V upside down, and through hell or high water, they were going to get to their predetermined destination. For example, a young man wants to go into the ministry. But let's say, for the sake of this illustration, he is not qualified to be a pastor. And after careful evaluation, several individuals concur that he does not have the gifting for what he wants to do. But this young preacher wannabe has already determined the outcome. He is going to be a preacher. Do you see what he's done? He's turned the letter V upside down, and he's going to that point. And nobody's going to deter him, even if he's not qualified. Wannabe biblical counselors will make this mistake also. They have a desire to be a counselor. And they conjure up a what I call a false continuum formula in their minds. The false continuum form, formula is a burden for counseling equals a calling for counseling, meaning I have a burden to counsel others. Therefore, I am going to become that. Many times these people are driven more by selfish ambition rather than by an actual call from God. Here's the big idea with this letter V, turn right side up. What I'm really saying is you want to hold your plans loosely. There could be broader possibilities for God's plans for your life. You should say, quoting James 4, if the Lord wills, you can do this or that. But if you predetermine how your decision should turn out for you, you may live in perpetual disappointment. There are many instances in Scripture where someone made a decision and the outcome was dismal, despairing, and even deathly. Read Hebrews 11 with this perspective in mind. Sometimes the choice you make in faith leads you into hard times, and that is God's will 
for your life. Decision-making is an imperfect science because we're fallen individuals. There are times when you make a decision and then realize it was not the best idea. So you change your mind and direction for, for your life. You can. You, you're not locked in when you make a decision. It is best, and, and then if you do change your mind or, or you're going through a change process, it is best to make these new decisions in the context of the canon, God's Word, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, the community as you allow others to weigh your ideas and your conscience. How is God leading you? The Bible, the Spirit of God, a few close friends, and what you believe in your heart or hearts. Perhaps your decision led you into hardship, and that is supposed to be your lot in life. Or it could be that your decision led you into difficulty and you need to change your plans. Each situation is unique and requires the utmost patience, wisdom, humility, and careful assessment before you change your mind and your life trajectory. It's not wrong to change your plans, but you want to make sure that you have weighed what you are thinking carefully and you're using the means of grace that are provided by God, the canon, the comforter, the community, and the conscience. Ultimately, you must be in faith to make a decision or to change a decision. The biggest pitfall of all is not to be in faith for what you do or what you're about to do. I have some call-to-action questions here, and if you want to really get more into this, I would love for you to read the questions that I have here. Talk it out with a friend, and you guys work through this idea. Helpful tips on how to make a decision big and small. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net. RickThomas.net